0: This is what I understand from the, from the perspective of Buddhist philosophy, is that our minds become conditioned, happens to all of us. We all develop habitual ways of perceiving reality and habitual ways of viewing ourselves and others. This just happens. It's normal. And then beyond our conditioned mind is our unconditioned mind, part of our consciousness that is completely unaffected by the habits of our conditioning, that is always here and is stable, and wise, and loving, and kind. It's often likened to the blue sky, our unconditioned mind, always present. Sometimes this is referred to as our true nature, our Buddha nature, probably our higher self, our spirit. I'm not sure what the right word for it is, of course, but our unconditioned mind is like the blue sky, stable, always here. And we can think of our conditioned mind as like the difficult weather that moves in. Clouds, the storm, the disturbances that move in. And our habit is to get caught up in that difficult weather and carry off into it and take it as, you know, really what's real. So what we're doing in this practice is becoming aware of the habits of our conditioned mind, those storms, those clouds, those, the fog that moves in that convinces us that we're not enough, um, that there's something wrong with me, etc. We're becoming aware of that. And then through the practice I just described, by that third question, okay, given what's happening, what's a wise and kind way to respond to ourselves? We're encouraging ourselves to, oh yeah, the blue sky, the part of myself that is not affected by these habits of conditioning, the temporary weather that moves in. We're tapping into that wisdom and that knowing. About what we really need. Prophecies have
1: foretold, and wisdom keepers all know that the rise of the feminine will restore balance to our world. In this podcast,
2: we are on a journey to understand the root of the imbalance that has caused disconnection and dysfunction within our humanity so we can emerge as leaders, creating a new story on Earth. I'm Lauren Walsh. And
1: I'm Shayna Connors. With humble hearts and open minds, we will converse with spiritual teachers, historians, psychologists, revolutionaries, leaders and healers to navigate these evolving times and reintegrate the feminine history that we have forgotten.
2: Welcome to the Time of the Feminine Podcast. Hey, hey, welcome to another episode of the Time of the Feminine Podcast. Today, we have a very real and raw, deep and beautiful conversation with you. And before we get started, I would love to introduce our new sponsor, GoddessWell.co. GoddessWell creates the highest quality of women's products for your highest self specifically formulated by women for women to complement our inherent self-healing power specifically focusing on PMS menopause hormone and moon support and urinary tract health so what i love about this company is the intentionality within the medicine and the high high quality of cbd that's within each capsule. So there's various lines. There's the Harmony line for Harmony and Mood. There's the Radiance line for PMS and menopause relief. There's the Serenity line for UTI relief. And each capsule has two times more CBD than in any other capsule on the market, plus high-quality essential oils to target and support relieving all of these various women's hormonal and sexual health issues. So for me, every day I take the Harmony pill for mood and hormone aid and I say a little prayer and I connect with the medicine and I connect with the aliveness of the essential oils and I ask for help with what I'm going through right now in my woman's health journey and I feel like I'm giving myself the care and the attention I need. And So what's so cool about Goddess Well and Marcella, the owner's connection with Global Sisterhood, is she's a Global Sisterhood facilitator herself, and she has made it available for the Global Sisterhood community to buy one product and get one free using the code SISTERHOOD. That means we get to buy one for ourselves, and we get to buy one with the condition of giving it to a sister, to spread the love, to spread the health, and to deepen our circle of women who are healing ourselves and transforming the world. So go to goddesswell.co, use the code SISTERHOOD, and buy one and get one free to give to a friend. All right, now let's get going with the show.
1: Hello, and welcome back to the Time of the Feminine podcast. I am very excited to have Mayor Chapman with us today. She's an MA and mindfulness based feminist therapist, a mindfulness teacher, consultant, and author. She has worked for 40 years doing clinical research and 30 years of studying and practicing mindfulness. She is devoted to understanding how internalized misogyny trains women to disconnect from their authenticity, thereby losing their voice and power, and how mindfulness can be applied to transform these habits so women can live fully empowered, vibrant, and healthy lives. Her recently published book, Unshakable Confidence, The Freedom to Be Our Authentic Selves, Mindfulness for Women, is based on the class she's been teaching to women in Madison, Wisconsin, for over 20 years. Her audio podcasts and guided meditations are available at her website, mayorchapman.com. We'll go ahead and link it in the show notes. Mayor, it is such an honor to be with you. Thank you so much for pioneering this work and for studying yourself right and uh, the beauty of what can be unfolded through understanding your consciousness and your own mind. so thank you so much for being here Sheena, thanks so much for having
0: me. It's just such a wonderful opportunity to to share what I've been discovering and learning and so grateful for all that you're creating with global sisterhood. It's just completely important, timely. I bow to you really for the work that you and your partner are doing. It's amazing. Ah. Uh,
1: and I was saying this before the podcast too. If it wasn't for women like you that have been doing this work for 30 years, you know, really In a in a world that was different than it is today. You know, there's so much more acceptance Mm -hmm. and room for us to be able to talk about these things because of the work that you and your sisters and you know our elders have been doing. So I'm so grateful to have you here and for you to share what you've been cultivating
0: over this time. Thank you. Thank you so much. Yes. Yes. It's important. It's key. Well, you know, just as you've been sharing in all your amazing podcasts, you know, we've been oppressed for as a gender for four thousand more than four thousand years so it's a huge I want to say project huge undertaking huge hugely important and to find ways to free ourselves from the ways we've been conditioned to oppress ourselves so it's important that we keep on this path to keep working towards it to keep moving towards to keep supporting ourselves and each other all our sisters around the world and our brothers who are also affected by all of this as well and never give up. Never give up. So can you take us back to Mare
1: 30 years ago, 40 years ago, and <laughs> what kind of sparked your curiosity and your interest in you know, studying mindfulness and beginning to
0: practice? Sure. I mean, I think what's true is I've always been really interested in the mind and consciousness and at a pretty young age. I became aware of the power of our mind to make us feel sick, uncomfortable, scared, as well as to make us feel joyful, calm, content. But it wasn't until I was married, I married my high school sweetheart, It wasn't until I was married and pregnant with my first child, my son, my mother had sent me Betty Friedan's The Feminine Mystique. I read that book while I was pregnant. And thought, oh my gosh, I have completely internalized the cultural programming hook, line, and sinker. And I instantly knew that I was a feminist through and through, that women being able to be fully ourselves, uh, empowered, is crucially important. And I was mad. I was angry (laughs) at the culture, at patriarchy, at men angry at myself for taking it all in. So that was my beginning awakening and continue, you know, and have my child, a second child, a wonderful. I have two wonderful children and grandchildren now continuing on in my life as a professional. I observe, even though I was becoming more aware of the ways that I was giving my power away, the ways that I was diminishing myself, I would be so angry at myself, Shana, when I would have an interaction, for example, with my boss. And even though I would disagree with his view, I had a terribly hard time expressing myself and, and hanging on to my own opinions and asserting what I thought was the right thing to do. So I witnessed myself over and over again, knowing what was true for me, but being unable to express it. You know, I think this comes also from a background, from being a really shy kid, being afraid Always kind of in school to you know be the one that had to stand up and say something. Um, I got very good at avoiding the teacher's gaze, so I think that was a component of, of for me as a personal as my personality and as an individual. but I just became more and more frustrated with myself, um, witnessing myself, not saying what was true for me, being really afraid, knowing what was true for me, but feeling stuck so I had the sense that you know, a way out of this was to really learn how to work with my mind. And it seemed to make sense to me that meditation must be a useful method for learning to work with the mind. So my very first, so I started searching and my very first spiritual teacher is an amazing woman named Ahani Wahu, who was teaching both a native American and a Buddhist path towards peacefulness. And I studied with her for about four years and I learned so many amazing things But I sucked at meditation, and my mind wandered all the time, and I got pretty frustrated with myself again. And then I explored a Hindu path for a while, Siddha Yoga. Also, the main teacher was a woman. I was clear to me that I wanted to learn from women, and that was very helpful. I learned a great many things, but it just didn't feel quite right. And then the first time, I, I began to get interested in Buddhism and mindfulness. I began to hear about it. And then... When I sat my first three day silent meditation retreat, learning insight meditation, where each sitting practice, the the woman teacher gave us another piece of the practice. So by the end of the weekend, I felt like I had a sense of, okay, what this method, what this approach is like, the tools of it. And it made tons of sense to me. It seemed really clear and quite doable. Plus one of the first things that the teacher said in the first sitting practice that we did is that, you know, when you're meditating and you're concentrating in the breath, your mind will wander. This is not a problem. <laughs> this is just something to be noticed. And then just bring yourself back to the breath. And I was like, What? This is part of the practice? I'm not doing it wrong. If <laughs> the mind wanders, that was uh, so so helpful and encouraging for me. So it just seemed like this practice of mindfulness. Offers a definite method from which we can, you know, learn to work with our mind, understand our mind, and at the end of this three days of practicing, I also felt like the fibers of my being were just more connected. I felt a, a kind of, I don't know, a kind of settledness, connection, uh, kind of denseness uh, within myself that I actually had never really felt before. So that was the beginning. Of my really going, I think this is the path that I really want to study. So I dove in to studying it, went on retreats, and on one silent meditation retreat, a seven-day retreat, one of the teachers said that one of the characteristics of an enlightened being is unshakable confidence. And I thought, unshakable confidence? Really? In a spiritual practice? Somehow that initially struck me as, what? Is that right? And then I thought, well, surely this doesn't mean the kind of unshakable confidence in which one thinks I am the best at everything, but it must mean, you know, more of a inner trust, an inner faith that you could actually handle whatever arises in your life in the moment. And When that occurred to me, I thought, this is what I want to cultivate. This is what I want to grow in myself. And I made a commitment to myself in that very moment that I want to learn how to create unshakable confidence so that I can be completely alive in myself, so that I can be authentic, be able to say what is true for me, be able to interact with whoever I'm with, you know, with an open heart and mind and stay connected with my own experience. Because it had become clear to me up until this point that really the huge habit of my mind was to not stay with myself, was to worry about what other people are thinking about me, was to doubt myself, to second guess myself, to judge myself, to criticize myself, to turn against myself in so many habitual ways. And this seemed like this could be a path where I could really learn to stay with myself, respect what I've been experiencing, and open the curiosity to what's happening. So that's really what brought me to this path of mindfulness, that commitment, possibility of living with unshakable confidence.
1: That's so beautiful, the the feeling of unshakable confidence and It reminded me of something, Lauren, uh, my partner talks about, which is humility, which in this way, it kind of feels like a similar thing, but humility being this like center point. And on one side, if you were to go far to the left, let's say, it's like self-deprecation. And if you go far Uh to the right, it's like self-absorption, you know, and in the middle is is this humility but also unshakable confidence. I think you can you can, you know, put them yeah. kind of in the same place. And I find that to be such an honorable place to be because it's it's your truth, right? Right. And how right. often our mind can trick us to sway to one way. And what that does is it makes us uncomfortable. It often can make others feel uncomfortable. And yeah, it probably leads to a lot of
0: uh, suffering. (laughs) Oh, it certainly it absolutely does. Yeah, Shana, Mm -hmm. it surely does. Yes, I agree. I think humility, yeah, is that middle place, that place of balance, knowing what you're actually experiencing and being aware of the other at the same time and the balance in that. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. I like
1: the unshakable confidence too, because I think sometimes in our culture, humility can seem like something where you're like bowing down and have to be below, you know, there's mm-hmm. sometimes this mm-hmm. idea of humility being like that. But it's interesting because I find that as you speak, it's like the same, the vibration of it should be the same, you know, these two things, mm-hmm. because it's like, you know who you are, you're connected to your, to your highest self, your potential, uh, the, the whatever arises. And yet there's this understanding that it's this ever arising experience for each one of us. And so right. that, there's the, the humility too. That's right. Super cool. Yeah. I wanted to share mm-hmm. too, that my awakening experience coincided with me learning how to meditate. And uh-huh. at the time I was working in San Francisco, had led this I had got on the boat, you know. I had got on the boat with everybody else to have a corporate job and do all these things. And I always knew in my awareness that this wasn't right for me, but I hadn't quite figured out like what else I was going to do yet. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And when I started (laughs) meditating, it like, It just happened that in my office, when I worked in this big financial institution, there was a meditation group that was meeting, practicing insight meditation in San Francisco. Great. And I started going every Wednesday and we'd sit for 30 minutes and then have like a dharma discussion afterwards. And I was mind blown. (laughs) My my mind Mm -hmm. was like finally finding this place of rest. I ended up going on a silent meditation retreat. And this was during Me Too. And this is when I had this big awakening of being a woman, being a woman in this financial workplace, all the misogyny that was taking place, all the misogyny that I had trained myself to believe about myself, had a similar experience, didn't know how to talk to my boss. So when you're saying all these things, I'm like, I relate to that so much. But I'm curious about, for you, like where you started to really understand the misogynistic thoughts and the enculturation. I know you talked about the Feminine Mystique, which is an incredible book and pioneer book for this kind of work, but I'm mm-hmm. curious about mm-hmm. like w- how you kind of ended up extending this into your work and what that journey was mm-hmm. like for
0: you. Okay. When, when I switched from working in the public mental health system with adults who were chronically mentally ill, to working in private practice, I left the public mental health system because I really became aware that all of us, both the clinicians and the providers who were trying to really help people who were severely suffering severely by the state of their minds, as well as the people who were trying to help, that all of our minds were really conditioned to believe that there's so much wrong with us. I basically began to feel like the public mental health system just continued to encourage the oppression that exists in our culture. So I had to leave it. And I began to create my own practice. And most of the people that came to work with me in my own practice were women, and women that were extremely successful on the outside. Many, you know, directors and managers of programs. um, um, Many married, not all. Some with children, not all. But, you know, women living How we're supposed to live successful lives. But internally, they were suffering tremendously from anxiety, depression, self-doubt, thinking that there is something wrong with them, they should be happier than they are. Why I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing as a woman? Why am I not more satisfied? Why do I feel this unease within myself? And convinced, as I said, that there's something wrong with them. And you know, I began to see this in woman after woman. And I started getting really curious about well, you know, what is going on here. So I began to study, dive more into studying what happens in power structures based on domination. I was I was highly influenced by the work of the women at the Stone Center, and especially the discovery or the understanding about what happens to us in the subordinate position as women, or anyone who's in a subordinate position, that we're basically trained to refer our attention to that external other. You know, when when we grow up in a a patriarchy, it's based on domination, power over. In the subordinate group, you learn always to pay attention to that external other, whoever it might be, your boss, your parent, the teacher, the doctor. And I came to really see that in that position, which we're all in as women in the patriarchy, the subordinate, the lesser position, that this is just what happens in that power dynamics. You begin to automatically do this. And there's been research that's really shown that as kids growing up, it's right around the age of puberty that as genders, we really take off in different directions. And right around that age for us as girls, we begin to stop trusting our our internal experience and begin to refer our attention to the external. I mean, we all do this, all, all of us growing up, regardless of gender, you know, as kids growing up, we have to learn to be good in order to get what we want with our parents, basically, who have more power than we do. But right around that point of puberty, boys begin to sort of take off in building their confidence and moving out in the world more, and girls go the opposite direction. We start to doubt ourselves more, That's at the age in which someone says to you, well, what do you want? And you begin to say, well, I don't know. What do you want? You tell me what you want, and then I'll figure out what I want. So it's a very clear process that happens to us. And so I began to understand that more and more and to see that these feelings that we have as women, this self-doubt, this anxiety, there's something the matter with me, Uh, I'm not how I'm supposed to be, You know, are not only deeply conditioned, but completely normal given the conditions that we live in. Um, You know, learning to shift your frame of reference from yourself, from your own authentic experience to the external other, I call this othering, I think is a coping strategy for being in the subordinate position, for being viewed as less than and learning to view ourselves as less than. Um, So we learn to look to the other to validate that we're enough, that we're okay, that what we're thinking or wanting is, is right. Um, we learn to disconnect from our own authentic experience and look to the other to make us feel safe. Uh, and that of course is a setup for anxiety. Um, it's a setup for insecurity because we can never know for sure what the other person is thinking about us. And we can't control what they're thinking about us. But that is the habit that we learn, I believe, as we grow up in this culture, this patriarchal culture, as girls turning into women, is that we become very good, very skilled at automatically paying attention to the other. We dwell on them. We wonder about them. We think about them. How are they doing? Are they okay? What do they need? Is what I just said good enough? What are they thinking about me now that I say what that? You know, that's just like so much mental activity spent on wondering about the other and how do they feel and what are they thinking about me? Um, and then that you know really has tons of problematic effects for us. I mean, statistically in our country, year after year, this has not changed during all these years I've been studying this and teaching this that year after year statistics show that women experience two to three times more anxiety and depression than men and that's that's a lot so as we grow up being trained to place our attention on the other rather than within our own authentic experience it cuts us off from our emotions we learn to view our emotions often as problematic thinking that we shouldn't feel certain things, we shouldn't be upset right now, learn to judge ourselves for our emotions critically. Of course, it cuts us off from our body. We learn to disconnect from what we're experiencing in our body. Our bodies have, you know, needs that need to be paid attention to. And um, if we're going to be paying attention to the other and making sure the other is okay, making sure that we're pleasing the other, making sure that the other is comfortable with us, then that really is an invitation to not notice your own physical sensations. Mm-hmm. So, you know, and beyond that, all the messages that we get in our culture about how our woman's body is supposed to be, of course, sets up an incredible adversarial relationship with our bodies. I think it's rare, in my experience, it's rare to find a woman who loves her body as it is. And yet, our bodies are an incredible source of information for us. You know, they tell us when we're hungry, when we're tired, when we're excited about something, you know, when we're scared. You know, our emotions are felt in our bodies. That's why we call our emotions feelings. So, you know, our bodies never lie. Our minds are super tricky and often do lie and distort, but our bodies tell it like it is so we get cut off from that all that data all that information about what's really going on for ourselves and then that you know is a setup for so many other things one Um, since we don't feel like we're enough as ourselves since we have a basic belief that we shouldn't be how we are there's something wrong with us and since our experience is that we have less power we want to avoid conflict as much as possible And usually, you know, when we find we're in conflict with someone, it's a conflict around what we want. That other person wants something that they want, and what I want is different. So I think in many ways, what I've discovered as women is that we suppress our wants. We often don't even know what we want in relationship to someone else. We're easy. It's easy for us to say, you know, that's not possible. And so we tend to avoid conflict or assume it's easier to change ourselves than to bring forward what it is that we really want, easier to let go of what we want. So that really, you know, minimizes, minimizes us. We learn to present ourselves to others and to the world in dishonest ways often. We try to manage the impression that we're making on others. You know to to you know always be pleasing, you know, show the right face, and that can often make us feel like we're kind of a fraud because we're not really showing ourselves to the world in an honest way, and that's painful. All of this also tends to make us feel what I call overly responsible for others and under responsible for ourselves. since we grow up with the notion that we're not enough the way we are, there's something wrong with us, then The more we can be pleasing to others, the more we can meet their needs and take care of them, then the more we hope that they'll be accepting and approving of us. But that habit um, or that assumption, that way of viewing ourselves, and all of this is mostly unconscious, by the way, we're not really aware of it consciously, um, tends to put us in positions where we um, feel like it's our job to. Help and respond to anyone who is needing help in the moment. So we tend to be spend a lot of our time, uh, a lot of our energy, both physical energy and our emotional, mental energy, thinking about, okay, hey, what does this person need? How can I help them? Not that that is wrong. Thank goodness we do that, Shana, right? But we do it without being aware of our own direct experience. Do I have the energy for this now? Um, do I really want to do this? Is this really my job? Am I responsible for this? So that sets us up, actually, for a lot of suffering. Actually, um, not knowing what our boundaries are, saying yes when we really need to want to say no, but we're afraid to say no because that person then might be irritated with us, might push us away, or we think. Um, and then it sets all of this sets up a lot of habits in our mind to be judging ourselves, criticizing ourselves trying to make ourselves be how we think we're supposed to be rather than really opening to ourselves as we are. And consequently, you know, just so many habits of doubting ourselves and and being unkind to ourselves, so harsh with ourselves. The things that we will say to ourselves as women can be so mean and cruel. We would never say those things out loud Just the one that we cared about. So these are, I think, there's so many ways that this habit of othering caused by um, our internalized misogyny um, just causes us so much misery and suffering. And
1: you shared so many brilliant things. It was so beautiful for me to hear you speak about these things because, of course, I've experienced everything you've said (laughs) You know, I know it in my own experience. And I'm sure so many others, if not everyone listening, can relate to at least a few things that you spoke. And I'm curious when you think about like ancestry, because, you know, it seems like this is like passed on. It's part cultural, that's this world that we literally are living in. And then it's also partially, you know, how we were parented, what our mothers experienced. I'm curious yeah. if your work has gotten into that at all.
0: Well, totally right. I mean, it's been passed down generation after generation after generation. And and I think all this exploration that's happening now around ancestry and things being passed down is so helpful to, to see this in an even bigger view uh, rather than so personal or individualized. And yes, you know, our mother's pass this down to us directly i mean i can remember my mother giving me complete absolute instruction in othering when she said and when i was a teenager when i must have been expressing some desire about something she said well if you think about your own needs first you're selfish so always think about the other person first and it was like okay (laughs) i don't want to be selfish there you go i don't want to charge myself with selfish so right so don't think about what I want or need or feel, right? So yeah, it's been passed down forever. And our mother's you know, intentions, of course, are telling us these things with, to help us become happy and successful the way we're supposed to be. Gene hmm. Baker Miller, who, psychiatrist, Dr. Gene Baker Miller, who was one of the founders of the Stone Center, which is a wonderful research center for studying women's psychology, one of the founders of the field of women's psychology didn't used to be a a field of women's psychology, right? She said that to be successful as a woman in our culture, we have to give up relationship with ourself in order to be in relationship with the other. And I think that's just so right on. I think that's what we're taught. That's the training that we get.
1: Unfortunately.
0: Yes. Yes. Mm. Mm Mm-hmm.
1: So, with this time of the feminine and you know, the rise of awareness around exactly what you're speaking of, right? Not being able to take care of oneself, beginning to understand your own inner workings, feeling your feelings, examining your thoughts. I'm curious, like what would you recommend for someone that hears everything you're saying, knows it within themselves but doesn't know how to start and also feels like this meditation things too hard?
0: You know mm-hmm. it is.
1: It is in the beginning, mm-hmm. and so I'm curious mm-hmm. about how you would advise one to even start to. You have to look at oneself.
0: Mm-hmm. I think it's really helpful to be aware of con- of our conditioning. I think it is really helpful to have the understanding that this happens to all of us, all of us women, all of us born in this gender. It's unavoidable. So therefore. Really important not to blame ourselves when we realize that we're giving our power away, when we realize that we can't say what's true for us, when we realize that we shrink, when we realize that we turn against ourselves in harsh judgment. It's so important to understand that it's simply conditioning and that we are not our conditioned patterns. That is a fundamental understanding that can take some time to really get. So, but I think that's really, really important. And then finding ways, simple ways to connect with yourself as you are in the moment. Yeah, meditation can seem, I mean, I think in my experience of teaching this, it seems like most people have a misunderstanding of meditation. That if you're meditating correctly, (laughs) your mind will become completely calm and there'll be no thoughts going on. And that is like so not it. Meditation is just. A way to really connect with yourself and pay attention to what you're experiencing in your body right now. What thoughts are going through your mind right now. What you're aware of with your other senses. What emotion or mood might be here right now. It's a very simple way just to know yourself as you are in this moment. And then also to become aware of the habits of the mind to turn against ourselves. So it it cultivates a very intimate relationship with ourselves. Mm -hmm. So, But there are very simple practices. Like the practice that I recommend probably the most as I'm beginning to teach this to someone is called dropping in. It's a very simple practice. It's it's not you don't have to sit on a meditation cushion. You can do it wherever you are. But it's a way to connect with yourself in the moment and find out what's actually true for you in the moment and then respond to it. So it goes like this. First of all, you have to decide, okay, I'm going to drop in right now. And then it's really helpful to just feel your body breathing a couple of breaths. You just feel your body inhaling and exhaling two or three breaths. And this is so helpful for getting in our bodies, feeling the breath, and bringing our attention into the present moment where we're actually alive. Our mind carries us all around into the past and the future, but we're not alive in those places. It's only in the present moment that we're actually alive. So then once you feel your body breathing those several breaths, then there's three questions to ask yourself. The first one is, okay, what am I actually experiencing right now in this moment? It's so a willingness to turn towards yourself and really honestly want to know what you're experiencing. What am I thinking? What am I telling myself? What am I imagining? What am I remembering? What sensations do I feel in my body right now? Maybe there's tightness in my chest, or maybe my jaw is tight, or maybe my belly's a little tight, or maybe I feel super comfortable and relaxed. And what mood or emotion might be here right now? Oh, maybe a little anxious. Oh, there's some sadness. So you're just discovering what's true for you in this moment. That's the first question. Second question is, how am I relating to what I'm experiencing? Am I judging my experience? Am I resisting it, wanting it to be different than what it is? Am I getting pulled into it, the story in my mind, kind of getting hijacked by it and carried off into all kinds of imaginings? Or am I curious about my experience? Am I able to accept it and open to it? So that's the second question. You just want to notice, how you're actually relating to it. And then the third question is, okay, given what I'm experiencing and how I'm relating to it, what's a wise and kind way to respond to myself right now? And what do I really need from myself in this moment? And that's an invitation to listen to yourself more deeply about what you really need and know. And then, of course, it's best to follow your advice. So that dropping in practice. That feels so good. You can do it anywhere. Yeah. Uh
1: huh. I'm grateful that you brought in the the second question, right? About how are you relating to this experience? Yeah. And I want to talk about, I want to talk about judgment. I also want to talk about pain. So we'll hmm. put a pin in pain, but let's start with judgment because, okay. or like rejection of one's experience, because I find that this is often how I'm relating, <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> Most yeah. I'm in judgment or I'm in rejection. And so then when you asked the third question, which I really appreciated, I was like, how do I want to, re- like, how do I want to be then with even the rejection <laughs> with the judgment? Right. It's like soft,
2: just <laughs> accepting. Mm-hmm. It's okay. Mm-hmm. So I'm curious right. about,
1: about, yeah, like how, how to work
0: with these things. <laughs> Yes. Okay. So let me just say, what I understand about this approach to working with ourselves, this is what I understand from the from the perspective of Buddhist philosophy, is that our minds become conditioned, happens to all of us. We all develop habitual ways of perceiving reality and habitual ways of viewing ourself and others. This just happens. It's normal. And then beyond our conditioned mind, is our unconditioned mind. Part of our consciousness that is completely unaffected by the habits of our conditioning that is always here and is stable and wise and loving and kind. It's often likened to the blue sky, our unconditioned mind, always present. Sometimes this is referred to as our true nature, our Buddha nature, probably our higher self, our spirit. I'm not sure what the right word for it is, of course, but our unconditioned mind is like the blue sky, stable, always here. And we can think of our conditioned mind as like the difficult weather that moves in, clouds, the storm, the disturbances that move in. And our habit is to get caught up in that difficult weather and carry off into it and take it as, you know, really what's real. So what we're doing in this practice is becoming aware of the habits of our conditioned mind, those storms, those clouds, those, the fog that moves in that convinces us that we're not enough, um, that there's something wrong with me, etc. We're becoming aware of that. And then through the practice that I just described, by right, that third question, okay, given what's happening, what's a wise and kind way to respond to ourselves? We're encouraging ourselves to, oh, yeah, the blue sky. The part of myself that is not affected by these habits of conditioning, the temporary weather that moves in or tapping into that wisdom and that knowing about what we really need. So that's kind of the framework that's really helpful, I think, to kind of understand. So then when you notice, oh, here's a whole lot of judgment. Here's telling myself that I suck. Here's telling myself that what I just did or said was pathetic or you know, that I'm never going to, whatever the story might be, there's that critical judging story. You note it, you say to yourself, oh, there's judging. Yep. And you want to notice that judging with just lots of curiosity and kindness and friendliness, because you remember, it's just the conditioned reaction. It's not the truth of who you actually are. So that makes it a lot easier to take that habit of judging. So personally, to believe it's me to believe the judgment um, but you can see it you spot it you recognize it and that ability to observe what we're experiencing without judgment to observe judging without judgment basically <laughs> allows some freedom to choose not to believe that judgment in that moment oh yeah i'm always telling myself i suck at this i'm always you know telling myself these stories that I don't really matter. But I learned to, you know, by becoming more aware of ourselves, we begin to understand it. that's just the story and it's not the truth. And when I believe that story, I'm miserable. You know, I'm suffering. So this practice cultivates the ability to step back a bit and with awareness, observe what we're experiencing. And working with the judging mind is really helpful because we're all taught to judge. I mean, we're all taught to judge all all over the place. It's probably one of the most prominent habits of our conditioned mind. And not that judging is bad. We need to make discernments. You know, we need to make wise decisions. But it's an automatic reaction in our conditioned mind. And so much of the judgments are, you know, critical. Um, and um and our habit is to believe whatever we're thinking, but the mind just makes up thoughts all the time, based on our conditioning so much of it. so it's also really important to understand that it's that we don't have to believe everything we think. It's just a thought, just a judgment. I find
1: as I study my own judgment, I notice how I'm like, I like this. I don't like this. I like this. I don't like this all day, Mm -hmm. (laughs) all day. (laughs) I like this. I don't like this. I don't like freeway signs. I don't like traffic. I don't like these red lights. I don't, (laughs) I like trees. (laughs) I like the moon. I like the sky. How come it's not all like this? You know, but it's like crazy to me. I notice so much when I'm driving, just when I'm like able to have a little bit more space. I'm like, Wow. Judge everything <laughs>
0: mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> right, right, yeah, and whenever we are judging, it actually creates a little contraction, and it actually you know it, it contracts our energy, and it, it's not pleasant and so you'd advise for someone like myself <laughs> to
1: just actively i mean, I find sitting with your three questions like if I were to do that every morning, that that would just be super supportive to my life. And I already practice trying to be with myself, but I find that those questions for me offer me enough framework that there's like an ease that I can find. So for someone like myself, that's judging, is there anything else
0: you'd recommend? (laughs) (laughs) Well, I mean, I think, you know, when you're aware of the judgment, first step is to be aware of the judgment oh, yeah, here's this judgment. Uh, the examples you just gave are, are um, you know, reflections of your preferences and probably not so problematic, actually, in terms of creating suffering. But when we judge, for example, another person for being wrong or not right or way off the mark or we don't like something about them or we judge ourselves in that way, First step is to become aware of that. Okay, here's judging. Yep, judging happens. And if we can note it to ourselves kind of neutrally rather than judging, but just, oh, judging's happening right now. That's super helpful. Um, and then it's helpful to notice the effect of that judgment. You know, does that make me feel more closed or more open? But then it's also helpful to ask, well, is that really true? You know, is this person always like that, for example? Am I always like that, for example? Is I mean, I think it's helpful to challenge our thoughts and challenge our assumptions. But probably more important, it is really, I think, helpful to just notice the effect of that judgment on your own present moment experience. Does it bring me more contentment or less?
1: I find that one of the ways that I get caught most in judgment is this experience of pain in my own body. The way that I'm feeling, and so yeah. I'm curious about that. For those that experience, you know, someone's like, "Well, be in your heart." I'm like, "Why well, experience pain in my heart? Like, it's not easy to be there all the time."
0: Yeah. Or I
1: experience yeah. this discomfort in my body, um, and so I'm right. curious about about that.
0: Mindfulness, I think, is one of the most effective um, methods for actually working with pain, physical pain and emotional pain that I've ever found. And I've studied and practiced a lot of different methods. But with what we would call pain, whether physical or emotional, we still feel that unpleasant sensation of it, right? So first thing is to notice it. Oh, here's pain. And it's even actually more helpful to find a descriptive word for it than pain. Pain, you know, is very generalized. That word is very generalized and can take kind of like, a, you know, I see the word pain and kind of big neon lights, big red neon lights, pain, you know. And because it's unpleasant, we don't like it. You know, Pema Chodron, one of my favorite teachers, I've heard her say so many times, something like, as human beings, we should never underestimate our preference for the pleasant. We do not like unpleasant, (laughs) right? And pain is really unpleasant. (laughs) So, and yet it's part of being alive, living in these bodies. We do experience pain. Those are the territory. Same with pleasure. Both are happening, and they shift and change. So, But when you're experiencing a sensation, whether it's in your heart, your heart is aching, or you've got pain in your back somewhere, or a joint somewhere, the first thing is to notice it and to note it. So here's tightness. Here's aching. Um, Here's throbbing. To find a word that describes it more accurately is really helpful. And then you want to bring tons of curiosity to it. Okay, well, how am I actually experiencing this in this moment? What's it like in this very moment? So often we take experiences of the past and plop them on the experience of the present. Oh, no, here it is again. I hate this. And we react to it. Oh, how bad is it? Why is it here? What did I do? And we get caught in our mind's reaction to it. And then we're actually adding a whole nother level of distress to our already uncomfortable experience. So by encouraging yourself to get really curious about the direct experience of this sensation right now, that's really helpful. And it gives it, automatically it gives it more space, more room to just be the way it is. And you want to bring your attention to it, Gina, just without, with friendliness, with kindness, with lots of curiosity, and then describe it to yourself. Oh, this ache. This ache in my heart right now. How big is it? What's the shape of the ache? How deep does it go into my body? Is it moving? Is it still? Is it warm? Is it cold? You investigate it. With as much sincere interest as you can. And you're just letting it be the way it is. You're not trying to change it. You're just accepting it relaxing around it, giving it lots of space to be just how it is. You're holding it really gently in your awareness. And then as you do that, many different things can happen. Since this is, we're talking about an ache in the heart, perhaps, it might become clearer to you as you're being with in this way what that ache is really about. Oh, this grief, this loss. So, you're noticing that, you're learning about that. Or it might just shift and change as you're relating to it in this open, accepting, spacious way. The sensation of the discomfort might lighten, might shift and change. In fact, because of the law, this law of nature of impermanence, everything is in the process of shifting and changing. By learning to relate to this uncomfortable sensation in this open, and curious, and kind, Loving way, actually. You're creating the inner conditions which allows that sensation, that feeling to shift and change as it naturally will. And then you've learned a lot more about this experience that you're having as you do this.
1: I'm so grateful for everything that you said because it kind of brought a new light to this. I guess it's a thought that I have that's like, if you sit with this long enough, it's going to move. Therefore you're doing it. So this could be done. You know, it's like, I have to, it has to be, has to go away. Right. Like there's a goal. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not practicing mindfulness because, you know, (laughs) because I just want to sit there and experience it's because I want the pain to be gone or I want to feel better or I want to be happier. I don't want to feel anxious anymore. And so it's all about this, like, End goal, which I think is actually yeah. part of this patriarchal culture, like
0: needing things to be yeah a certain way. I totally is, <laughs> and it's not paying attention to the natural process, the organic process of life as it unfolds. Right. So yeah, we get very attached to okay. Now that I'm paying attention to it this way, it should change. And then you know that's a habit of the mind to think that way, um, which actually creates resistance and is an obstacle to that experience naturally shifting and changing, which is nature. You know? And we're nature. These bodies are nature.
1: It's interesting that having mm-hmm. that goal is actually keeping it more stuck than not.
0: Exactly. It is. You're totally right. hmm hmm Yeah.
1: I find just doing that practice alongside you.
0: Yeah. Good. Uh Uh-huh. Doing these practices requires patience and bravery, actually. Be courage. Because we're asking ourselves to turn directly towards what is uncomfortable. And we don't want to do that. So to you know, to do these practices, um and they're ancient practices. I I take a lot of solace from that that they are ancient. And also there's you know Science that's really showing that actually this way of relating to pain, for example, is one of the most effective mind-body methods. There is. So we know there's good data on this. But it takes direct experience. It takes the willingness to open, the courage to open to what's uncomfortable and really experience what happens. We can kind of get out of our mind's habit of, okay, this should change now because I'm paying attention to it in this supposedly helpful way. (laughs) And just be with what you're actually noticing and to stay with it. So it takes practice. And over time, as you practice being with yourself in this way, you do develop the confidence that this is reality, actually. And that's part of cultivating that unshakable confidence. There's learning how to be present with these very difficult, painful experiences that we have in living our lives, physical and emotional, mental. Can we talk
1: about trauma and how one who experiences perhaps pretty intense trauma, is it safe for them to begin mindfulness practice? And how would you kind of advise going about that?
0: I would. That's a really important question, really good question. I would advise starting very simple with, again, depending on the degree of trauma and, and the intensity of how that person's affected by that, But I would start very simply by helping the person come into their body in kind and gentle ways. Might just be simple things like feeling your feet right now in contact with the floor, feeling your hands touching each other if they're touching each other. It might be simple things like just connecting with what you can actually see right now, connecting with your senses, teaching them ways to ground their attention in the present moment, basically, rather than being pulled off into those reactive stories that are related to the trauma. So first grounding, learning to ground in the present moment with the body in simple ways, learning to come to the breath if that's possible, maybe sometimes gradually, working slowly to be able to come to finding the breath. Learning to connect with the breath in the present moment is such a fabulous resource that we all have. And it's seemingly so simple, and it's so potent, it's so valuable. So that would be where I would start, just getting helping the person come into their body, be aware when they're leaving their body, when they're not aware of what they're experiencing in their body, and be able to come back to their body. And then once establishing more, more of an ability to stay in the present moment in the body, then it will become possible to explore gently, tenderly, Aspects of that trauma. Um, But really important to be grounded in the moment and to be exploring the the trauma from the present moment perspective.
1: That brings up a question I have around story, because sometimes these stories are incredibly captivating. I find myself getting lost in stories often, (laughs) which is probably a shared experience. And I'm curious about scary stories you know, sometimes like disturbing stories. Yeah. These stories that kind of can cause almost harm to ourselves, Mm -hmm. which I'm I'm sure a lot of thoughts and things that we do, do cause. I'm curious about how one begins
0: to work with, with that. Okay. Yeah. Stories are so powerful. They sweep us away in a second um, without even really knowing it. To me, this is one of the most important, one of the most freeing aspects of this practice of mindfulness because thoughts are so powerful and we're so used to being led around by them all the time. So to understand, you know, that the mind thinks and the mind creates, I've read estimates between 60, 67,000 and 120,000 120, thoughts in a given day. That the, Our mind thinks an incredible volume of thoughts and apparently 80% of those are reruns. So we have themes in our thoughts, themes in the stories that our minds create, right? And and thoughts seem so real because we're one so attached to them and we're identified with them. To a huge extent, we think we are our thoughts. Descartes said in the 17th century, I think, therefore I am, right? So it's a huge part of our experience. But thoughts well, and they have a tremendous capacity to sweep us away from the present moment, as you know, just they are gone. But thoughts in and of themselves are super light, super changeable, and as soon as we withdraw our contact with them, as soon as we shift our attention away from them, they poof, they're gone. So they don't have any lasting form when we can shift out of them. But you know for all of us we're just led around by our thoughts so much of the time and because we automatically believe them we take them to be the truth so it's so so helpful to realize that this is just what the mind does some of the thoughts that our minds create are brilliant and wise and so constructive and creative and so helpful but a lot of them are not and so many of them create suffering for us. And for sure, those 80% rerun thoughts that run through our minds, so many of them are, you know, related to our conditioning and to our conditioned core beliefs about ourselves that are not true. You know, as women, you know, the belief that we don't matter, that we're not enough, that something's wrong with us, not true, not true, not true. But until we begin to understand that it's important not to believe every thought that we think. We're caught by them. I remember one time I was, I was teaching a one-day workshop on paying attention to internalized misogyny through mindfulness. And at the end of the workshop, a woman came up to me and said, I wanted to tell you that I had this huge insight. I said, well, what, what was it? She said, now that I know that I'm not my thoughts, I don't have to be afraid of my mind. And I thought, wow right. I can remember a moment, a point in my life in which I was afraid of my mind. I was afraid of the thoughts that my mind creates. But now, through this practice, learning to shift my attention out of thoughts that are not real, that do not serve me, that do not support my aliveness, um, learning to do that through meditation practice, um, you know, I have freedom from them. I don't have to be caught in them when I can be aware of them.
1: It's interesting for me listening to this because recently I've been feeling like I've been letting my energy leak. So I'm like, okay, how do I set up better boundaries? And from what I'm hearing is that when I'm more mindful and not getting stuck in these stories, then I can be more present to like where my boundaries are. And so it's interesting about how it's actually like giving up a lot less, giving up more, I'd say like not giving power to these things, which is funny because when I think about boundaries, I think of h- having to construct walls. When in reality it's more like letting all of this go so I can just sense what's actually present for me. If that makes sense.
0: Yes, exactly right. For sure. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right.
1: These podcasts are always so timely. <laughs> <laughs> so grateful. <laughs>
0: That's
1: so great. Yeah. I I could ask you so many questions, but I'm gonna I'm gonna close and I'm gonna ask you our final question, which is to connect to the the essence within that is of the great mother, that is of the cosmic womb, our pancha mama, and to Mm. share a message from that place.
0: What comes to me is that this is really the time for us as women to free ourselves from the ways we've been conditioned to oppress ourselves, to see that clearly, and to learn how to create our inner freedom so we can really step into our power and take action to create freedom in our external world for everyone. So I think it's really a time to be fiercely compassionate towards ourselves and each other, really a time to be as big as we can be. And so it is. Mm-hmm.
1: Yes. Thank you so much, Mayor, for your cultivation and your wisdom and your presence. It is felt. I'm so happy mm-hmm. for you to be
0: here. Mm. Thank you so much, Shanna, for this chance to be with you. It's been wonderful. And thanks to all the sisters out there who are listening and doing everything that they're doing to be fully themselves, you know, fully authentically ourselves. That's it. Mm-hmm.
1: So do you want to share with the listeners out there about how to find you?
0: The easiest way is to go to my website, mayorchapman.com. And I will say I, I am teaching thanks to COVID and everything going online. I am teaching a, a, what I call the foundation class. A 10 weeks class learning this practice of mindfulness and applying it to the ways that we've internalized misogyny, learning to connect with our authentic self. So, that class will begin February 20th. So, love to have anyone who's interested Sweet. join. Mm-hmm. Yeah, maybe me. That's so yeah, cool. That'd be so fun, Shana. Yeah.
1: This, this session was helpful. <laughs> <laughs> oh i'm like oh i need this
0: <laughs> <laughs> great so happy to hear <laughs> good thank you so much okay
1: yeah thank you to all of our listeners it's so good to have you listening to another episode of the time of the feminine and a big thank you to Maren. and a big smiling and shaking my hands at her giving her a big thanks for for being here Thank you so much for tuning in to the Time of the Feminine Podcast. It is such an honor every time to be able to host these conversations and to share the stories of the beautiful people we get the opportunity to interview. And so if you enjoyed this podcast, please go ahead and leave us a review. You can do so on Apple Podcasts and write a nice note, or you can do so on Spotify by leaving stars. We so appreciate every single one of you that's taken the effort to go out and to share with others and with our community about how this podcast has touched you it really means so much to us and for us this is a labor of love and so thank you for giving back in that way